whether you're standing, whether you're seated, remain the same, but just lift your hands where you are. And now for just the next moment, without assist of song, let your own hearts speak the gratitude that you desire to give to your God. Give him thanks, glory, honor, praise for who he is to you, what he's done for you, what he's speaking into your life, what he's stirring your heart to be involved in. Just take this moment. It's, as we would say, it's me time, but it's time with him. For those of you that may be more reserved than others in personalities, moments like these, that he gets to all of us. It's that small, still voice. Not a lot of clamor, not a lot of energy, not a lot of sound, just, just his pristine voice speaking. He said, my sheep, they know my voice. Amen. He is speaking. He's always speaking. He's constantly speaking. For those that would say, I don't know. I've not grown much in my faith yet. It's moments like these that he begins, that drawing he said, draw nigh unto me, and I'll draw nigh unto you. It's in moments like this where we just acknowledge him and say, above everything else, I want to know you more. I want to know you deep in a deeper way. I want to know you for who you are, not what somebody says you are. I want to know you. I want to know you personally. I want to experience your voice. I want to experience your presence. I want to experience your touch. I want to know with assurance that you're in my life. That you're not just something in concept that's been passed down to me through the generations by godly parents or grandparents or a co-worker or a friend. I want to know you for myself. I want to know you. That's one of the most intimate words in Scripture, the word know. Not just head knowledge, you see, it's experiential. It's transformative. Knowing. Knowing. When others speak about, you can say with assurance, I know. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me take time right now to uh, promote something that I have not been promoting. This is not a commercial break. Uh, I, I wanted to have a moment like this where it's just full attention. I'm going to encourage you strongly to be a part of Wednesday nights here in the sanctuary, 7 o'clock. There are, of course, classes for children, teens. But as adults, I encourage you strongly, if you're not already a part of what we call Prayer Central, I want you to make it a priority. Pastor, what do you do on Wednesday nights? We pray. Prayer is one of those things that will get away from us if we're going to be very honest about it. We talk about praying, but do we pray? We use the verbiage. At times we find ourselves praying in just spurts, in traffic. God help me get through this traffic. And we can joke about that, but we're also sincere about that. We need help in that moment. But prayer has to be more than just those incidentals. It has to be a way of life. 
And the wonderful thing is, it isn't just for the reverends, it isn't just for the elders, it isn't just for the older, it is for all. And so Prayer Central is about not only praying, but it's about growing in a faith to know that God does hear us when we pray. How many believes that today? I believe it not only experientially, but I know it through His Word. He said, if we pray, He hears us. And uh, He will answer. So, also Wednesday nights, we just go to the Word. And uh, it's not a service where we try to do extras. I felt very constrained months ago to direct the church this way. I've been here a long time now and been a part of a lot of incentives, Core 300 for Men initiatives, things like that, Bethel Bible Series, a lot of discipleship. But I have felt very constrained of the Spirit and remain there that prayer must be central in what we do as individuals, but as a church. As churches, you can get caught up in a church calendar. I'm just telling what leaders of churches face. You feel the pressures. This one says we need to do something for this age group, this age group, that age group. We need to add this. And before, you're juggling. And if you're not careful, prayer won't have time to be a part of the overall calendar. And it has to remain central, doesn't it? We know that. And yet we can get trapped. I'm not trying to be ugly here. I'm trying to help us. So I'm asking you to do yourself a favor and make it a priority. If you are a prayer warrior, by all means, then we for sure need you because the, the faith that is built in others by being around someone of a heightened faith. So again, it's, that's a promotion. It's not a commercial. It's something that I, I feel very deeply about. And for this particular Wednesday night, I mean, I've, I've got something I just know God has downloaded in my spirit, and I, I want to share that with you Wednesday night. Thank you, Carrie. I always enjoy the music. This morning, I want to, uh, we've, we've just come through a holiday where, above all the holidays, this is the one that emphasizes a lot of eating. Can I hear an oh, amen or an oh me? This morning, I feel like this is one of the messages that would be considered uh, meat. And in other words, of depth. So let's get right to it. At the beginning, we find foundationally that God has given to us, his people, throughout all generations, the law of God. And in the foundational law of God, now again, we've got to know there's 613 precepts that God has given us around the law. But we, many of us, when we hear law or commandment, we go to the Ten Commandments that are foundational, that are being contested to this day across this land. In that foundation, among other cardinal, essential commands, God speaks in such a clear way when he says, have no other gods before me. Now, again, that doesn't mean in order. As long as he's first, you can have other gods. So maybe a better way to word it is have no other gods, lowercase g, around me. In other words, he has to be God and God alone. For he truly is the one 
true, living God. Not man-made. God is spirit. In that foundation then, if I can zoom it up 4,000 years, we come to a time in Jesus' teaching here upon the earth. And he speaks of yet a time that would be hundreds of years in the future, which we are presently living in the now. And you'll find in Matthew chapter 24, he is speaking and he's telling us what to expect in the latter times. He's, his own hand-chosen disciples know something's going on in this moment. And they sit down with him and say, give us the signs of your return and of the end of the age. In speaking to them, he shared that there would be, and many of us that are students of the Word of God at any level have heard the expression that he used that day, you will see certain signs as just the beginning of sorrows. And so we know that among those things would be earthquakes in diverse places. We understand that there would be famines. We understand there would be a uh, great heartache upon the earth. He said, but these are just the beginning. And he used the expression a little later in that conversation. He said, it would be likened unto a woman who is pregnant, who's at the end of that pregnancy cycle, and the birth pangs would begin sending a signal to her that the time of delivery is very soon. And so those of you in the congregation that have experienced that, you know all too well what that means. And you get the first pang of, uh-oh, we're getting to the end of this trimester. It won't be too much longer. And then another pang. And then another pang. And then it starts noticing every time a pang comes, it's coming a little sooner than the last time expanse. And it becomes stronger and stronger until finally, and I don't have to get too descriptive with this, it's time. And so Jesus used that analogy for us to get a visual, to get an, a, a, an understanding of these signs that would be given. And among these signs then, he continued and he talked about in these birth pangs that there would also be something present. And I am convinced that it is very much a part of the fabric of the cultures around the globe today. Jesus called it the spirit of lawlessness. And in the spirit of lawlessness, we see, and it does describe our times as we think sometimes when we talk about politics, we may only be speaking of the politics in our locale or in our country. But if you look across the globe, we are truly in a time when nation is divided against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And if there isn't a war active, there's a rumor of a war breaking out at any time. Does that describe our times? It's because there is a spirit of anarchy. There is a spirit of lawlessness. I will not be ruled by another. I will not be told what to do. I will do what I want to do the way I want to do it as many times as I want to. This is a spirit of lawlessness. So again, we understand this is meat today. This is, this is heavy stuff. And then Jesus went ahead and he said, 
in that, as with that spirit of lawlessness, the love of many, and depending on the version of the Bible you have, the King James would use this expression, the love of many would wax cold, and you can see the building up, whether we're talking about in the human body, a wax buildup, or if you're talking about waxing a floor and putting the layers, we see that there is a waxing effect building upon one another, and the more that you wax, the more that it builds up, it causes things that was uh, open to now be guarded. In the positive scene, it can protect. In the, in the negative side of it, it causes things to become dull. In our hearing, if there is a wax buildup, there can be a diminishing of the ability of how we can hear. And that wax has to be removed. He said the love of many would wax cold. What he's really saying is the love of many will still be present, but it will be a diminished level of what they once knew. It has become dull. In other words, Jesus is not pulling any words at all. He's telling us exactly what can happen. Someone can say, I still believe in the name of Jesus. But we have to put a however there. That I love God, but. And the cares of life can consume an individual. Sometimes it comes inadvertently. Sometimes it comes uh, without much notice. And then sometimes there's signals there, but we don't know what to do about it, or I'll get to it later, or I'll fix it. That describes the human condition. Jesus described it. The love of many will become indifferent. In other words, I can still say I love God, but I don't love him the way I did. Because at one time, I so loved him that I devoted everything to him. I gave him all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my strength, all of my ability, all of my future plans. I wanted to make sure was centered upon his will. As one writer put it, boy, this just speaks, doesn't it? When it said, this individual said, many times if we're not careful, we will see what God will tolerate in our life instead of asking him what he desires in our life. And that speaks to all of us. We find ourselves accepting things that we would have had nothing to do with at another time. Because now we've met so-and-so and they like this. Or I, I must surrender this edge on this thing so that I can be accepted in this group. Because you see, the pressure to be popular is, is oh, it seems to be insurmountable. I have to be accepted. I have to be popular. I have to be known. I have to be liked. I have to have these people in my life. And again, in a time of social media to where it's a frenzy at times, what is somebody going to say about me? I, I, I can ill afford separating myself from these people because they're in the know or they're popular. Or I, I need them to get where I'm going. You see, I can go on and on, and we think we're talking about somebody else, and then we have to look at ourselves. Jesus understood all that, this diminishing. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 16. As a title today, I'm simply going to use this expression, Acts, a continuum. 
a continuum. Because you see, when you go to the book of Acts, and you go to the last words of that particular letter, we call it a book today, you will find out it's not like other letters. It isn't ending with salutations or, or some kind of benediction. There is no formal ending to it. In other words, it's still active. The book of Acts is still being written by design. For many of us in our Bibles, men have tried to help us, and there are certain headings you'll find in your Bibles. One of them may be the Acts of the Apostles. Many versions use that expression. I'm not one that embraces that one as much as I like the expression, Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because that's why it's a continuum. The Holy Spirit is still moving upon the earth and still moving in the lives of believers and still desires to empower believers today every bit as much as these first apostles that were experiencing that outpouring. Can I hear an amen in the house? It's a continuum. It was not written in such a way that now put the final period and we'll go to another letter, another book. It's speaking now. As Pentecostal believers, as spirit-filled believers, as charismatic believers, whatever umbrella you like to sit under, you understand the Holy Spirit is still breathing, still alive, still speaking, still touching lives, still empowering lives. When we come to this, we find examples in the Word of God in this book called Acts, that we are not to look to as icons to make them saints, that we can chisel out images of them and honor them for the faith that they had in God at that time. It's much more than that. Matter of fact, as you read the letter or the book of Acts, at the end of it, you will find Paul writing, Luke's writing about it, but you find Paul also writing from jail. He's been imprisoned yet again. And the words there says he is writing about the kingdom of God. And here's an incredible word there. With all boldness. That's what we have to have. Every bit as much today as any other time. Oh, I glory. I get excited when I read about certain miraculous things that's happened in Old Testament, New Testament, book of Acts. But I want them to happen now as well, don't you? And I want to be a part of what God is doing upon the earth, don't you? I want God to empower me, who within myself am very, very limited. But with his supernatural touch in my life, all things become possible to those who believe. In this, it's all about the kingdom and operating in boldness. It's been the Pentecostal people, above all other people, that says, we believe in a baptism, an immersion of power from on high. I can put on that which heaven has sent down and clothe myself in that power that God has given to me to exercise in his kingdom 
so that his kingdom will advance upon the earth. Paul's writing about that boldness. How long has it been? We've got to ask ourselves the right questions. How long has it been since we've operated in a boldness? Has it been this week? Or has it been some amount of time? Do we look at ourselves and say, there was a time in which I found myself not being out of line, however still yet bold, to speak up for the cause of Christ. I wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for I've learned, like Paul, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone. To operate in that boldness, to speak up at work when it's obvious that darkness has invaded the workplace. Smutty jokes are being told. We're glorifying sin. And yet in that moment, I, I, I remember God giving me that open door. And with boldness, I walked through and I shared about my faith in Jesus Christ. And the whole atmosphere of the workplace changed. How many can testify to moments like that? I wasn't looking for it, but it was there. I wasn't trying to grandstand, but the moment was there. How many times has it been in your life when God opens a door and you're talking with someone, you started off talking about sports, you started talking about grandchildren, you were talking about the sale they had over at, at a, a Target or Walmart or, or at the grocery store, and all of a sudden the conversation changed. And in that moment you found yourself being used as an instrument of God. And you start speaking to this person, and before you know it, you're saying, may I pray with you? And God himself worked in your life to touch another life, to where they came back to you and said, I, I, I don't know what I'd have done if I hadn't walked in this room today and met you. I, I, I've known you for years, but this moment is very special to me. Thank you for praying with me. Or they've come back to you later. You remember when we prayed uh, about 12 hours ago? God has already answered that prayer. And it's, I, I know I'm a believer now that prayer actually works. This is boldness that's being referenced here in this continuum of acts. You see, acts is a word used for action. I ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 16. You'll find verse 16 to about verse 24 a story that I want to bring alive today. I trust comes alive for all of us today. And that is a story where we find Paul and Silas. They've been on a journey. They're traveling. They have a destination in mind, but they have to alter their course and they start getting directed a different way. And finally, they come to a place called Philippi. And when they come there, there's a lot of commerce going there. There's a lot of things that's very popular about the area. And they find a place, they ask in the community, is there anybody praying here? Well, there's some women praying over here by the river. Well, let's go over here and join the prayer meeting. And as they got over there, they found a young lady by the name of Lydia. She was from Thyatira, and the conversation goes on. We hear about her later. But we find that obviously they had met there, well, let's meet here again tomorrow, and then let's meet again tomorrow, and, meet, and several days were linked together. About that time, another young lady enters the story who has a spirit of divination. She's a tarot card reader. She's a palm reader, soothsayer. Oh, we don't have anything like that today, do we, church? 
And oh, I know there wouldn't be anybody calling himself a Christian would ever call one of those hotlines. You see, this young lady with that spirit of divination comes up and she starts with a very loud voice, these are men of God. And they're going to show you the way to salvation. But she was doing it in a way to mock them, obviously. And Paul got enough of it. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, with that boldness, devil, you come out of her. And the Bible says in the same self-hour, she was set free. Well, the rest of the story goes on. Everybody's happy about that. And they're throwing a big party. Now, that is not what is there. A price had to be paid. Those who were making money because of this devil that was in this girl now found out we're not making the money like we were. And so they brought their magistrates and drug Paul and Silas in. And here's the story you got to know before we read. They find them not only being humiliated and ridiculed, they were stripped naked and beaten and drugged to jail. Not only did they put them in the comfort corner of the jail, they put them in the center of the jail that nobody else could get to them. They had quarantined them, they had sequestered them to where they could be silenced. We don't need your kind around here. Well, what's the matter with this story? This girl got set free of a devil. Everybody ought to be happy about that. Church, we've got to get awakened again to why the Word of God was given to us and the power of God was given to us. It's not about just making us feel good or look good or be popular. It's about the kingdom of God being advanced. How many knows there's a devil loose? How many knows there's a kingdom of darkness? We've got to shake ourselves again and realize that souls are being contended for every single day. That people are dying and going to a hell for eternity. Pastor, I don't like it when you teach and preach like this. Why would you say something like that? Well, it's just, you know, I deal with so much stress through the... Through, I, just, I, just, I just want it to be nice at church. But when the devil comes after your marriage, don't you want somebody trusting God to get breakthrough for your marriage? Don't you want to be able to get a hold of another believer and say, listen, I've been praying all I can, but obviously there's too many for me to... Get alone, but if I, I just get a second person to agree with me, we'll chase 10,000 devils out of this place. You see, it takes a boldness not only to exercise that, but to believe it to start off in the first place. I believe in the power of prayer. There, how many times have you been somewhere you feel like, man, the devil's got my name, he's got my number? Yeah, you're not alone. And you feel like if it was just him, I'd be all right. But he's got hundreds of cohorts coming against me, and I'm weary. But the Bible says one can chase a thousand devils, but you get another believer in 10,000. An exponential change happens as a result of somebody simply believing the book and exercising. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. If you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word. They're in jail. They're, in, they're shackled. They're in stocks. They're not just in that inner sanctum. They're, they're shackled. Their bodies are swelling up from the wounds. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Probably not because they were keeping harmony. 
But the, it was the amazement. Somebody is singing in the midst of all this. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open. And everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer, an unbelieving jailer, just doing his job, woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to impale himself, kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You may be seated. You may be seated. I love the response you just gave. With just the reading of the account from the eternal word of God, it spoke to you. And not to embellish the story, just to proclaim the story. We have to ask ourselves some tough questions. I asked myself reading this again. Actually, this message came about by being drawn in prayer to this particular story again. The rest of it. It's filler to it. Holy Spirit, why are you guiding me here? Why this story again? Do we believe, first of all, that it really is a genuine account? That it really happened to these men? But the next question is, could I do what they did? Or would I find myself feeling sorry for myself and mumbling? I mean, here, I've done nothing but good, and this is what I get for it. Let me get my phone out and call my attorney right now. Oh, come on now. That's the spirit of the age. First thought is litigation. And in this moment, they find themselves, they've been there obviously for some time, but when darkness was having full rain at midnight. Let's start singing. Wow. Josh, what's that say to you? A young man. These guys are singing. You're full of song. You love the Word of God. You love praying. we got to ask ourselves, but if I was there in this situation, in the inner part of this jail, not knowing what's about to happen supernaturally, Who even knows that we're here? How long will it take before the word gets out to anybody? Because there was no social media back there, back then. See, they had enough time to think that thing through. We're doomed. We're done. Can you imagine what their bodies were experiencing from the beatings? Can you imagine the discomfort of being shackled? The torment of the mind and their singing. I don't know about you, but it speaks to me. And they're praying. What kind of men were they? Is it acts of the apostles and we can't live it? Or is it a continuum? 
And we can do it. I don't know if we'll ever be thrust into a situation like that. And yet here they are singing. Here they are praying. Again, I ask myself, God, if I was put in that situation, and now this earthquake comes, and I mean it's a killer quake, and it rattles even to the foundations of that, and the doors fly open. I don't know about you. I believe I'd set a new world track record. Gone. And feel justified in it. Because obviously God has heard my prayer and he's set me free. Come on, somebody. Is that not be the natural response? What's the matter with these guys? That's not their response. You know why they didn't move? Because they were already at their appointment. There was a satisfaction about them. And I thought, God, in this hour, we must also be convinced. We must also be persuaded. Paul said, I am persuaded. I am persuaded. Anything I give to him, it's in safekeeping. They were already at their appointment. There was no reason to leave. We want testimonies. But we have to have a test to have a testimony. We want to have a message, but we got to be in the mess first. But are we still willing for that empowerment in our life to put us in a place where the kingdom of God can be highlighted, not the individuals? Wow, this is heavy stuff. This is meat, Pastor. But don't we get tired of sugar-coated stuff all the time? Don't you want something that will satisfy the soul? God, speak to me. Let your word speak to me. Challenge me again. I don't want to know all the answers yet. Lead me and guide me and direct me by your spirit. You don't have to give me all the fine print before I get there. Empower me now. God, let me be moved by your spirit, touched by your spirit, inspired by your spirit, and have a faith by your spirit that I'm just going to trust you, God, when there's nothing else to hold on to. God, I do want your glory to be revealed. And if it causes me angst, and if it causes me pain, to God be the glory. God, somebody's got to be used in this hour. What an incredible story. I ask myself some other tough questions. When somebody doesn't like what I'm doing for the cause of Christ, or I tell somebody I'm a Christian and they mock me, they laugh at me, or they make me the butt of the jokes, do I always have to be right? But boy, don't we battle that? Aren't we quick, so quick to defend ourselves? Can you imagine being put in this situation today and if we weren't empowered by the Spirit and just operating in the rationale that would come naturally to us, we'd find ourselves finding a cell phone somewhere, getting that attorney, and why that dude is, and woman, whoever is coming to defend our case, man, we'd be squawking, wouldn't we? It would go viral immediately. Let me tell you what they've done to me. I'm innocent of the charges, and hand they're coming against me. 
But you see, God had him right where he wanted. And then I asked myself the next question. And if I have foreknowledge that I would go through all this and it would only affect one person, would I be willing to go through it? A prison guard at that, really? Not a head of state, not a senator? Not somebody that down the road, everybody will say, how wonderful of a hero I am because I rescued so-and-so. This dude's just an ordinary Joe. Am I willing to be used of God in what seems to be insignificant? Man, these are tough questions. I believe that we will face these and should face these kind of situations. Maybe that's being, why I'm being prompted to preach in such a manner. You see, I am convinced persecution is a part of God's strategies. Well, I didn't get many amens on that one. There used to be a minister on Sunday nights on TV. I won't mention his name. But he used to crack me up. And he would be preaching. We'd be home from... Back then, we went to church Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then when I got home after church, I still listened to somebody preach. I mean, you know, what was that? But... <clears throat> And he'd get preaching like that, and I was like, I'm not getting many amen around here. Now, what he feels like? Persecution. Did not Jesus teach us in this sermon that we know above all sermons that he preached, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when you are being persecuted. Happy are you when you're being persecuted for my name's sake. You're blessed when you're being reviled. When you're being accused, wow, what a word, and being persecuted. We understand Paul's writing to Timothy, and listen, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ. Would that be you? Put your hand up. All who desire. I didn't read the rest of the verse. Will also be persecuted. God, I want to be used of you, but you'll be persecuted. Well, maybe it's just some, but I find this word all in the English. So I went back to original Greek to find out what it was saying. And, you, and that came from the original Hebrew and other passages. And you know what I found that the real translation of the word all means? All. You read the book too. All who desire to live godly in Here's the secret, the name we've been singing about, Jesus Christ. There's the line in the sand. There's the line of demarcation. That's the difference of the kingdom. To be followers of Jesus Christ to a place what seems to be absurd. Are we sold out? Are we committed? And do we say we want to live a godly life in him? We shall also suffer persecution. Paul would write later, Peter would write later, I go through all those scriptures with you, but they come back with the same thing. He says, it's in times of persecution that the Spirit of God rests upon us. Carrie, you better come to the Keith. I want to read a poem to you that's hundreds of years old, written by a man by the name of Cyprian. And man, it's just like he wrote it this morning. This is a cheerful world as I see it from my garden under the shadow of my vines. But if I were to ascend 
some high mountain and look out over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Robbers on the highways and pirates on the seas, armies fighting, cities burning. In the amphitheaters, men murdered to please applauding crowds, selfish and despair and cruelty under all roofs. It is a bad world, my friend, an incredibly bad world. But I have found in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great lesson. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful lives. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. I love this line. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people, my friend, are the Christians, and I am one of them. Wow. I look at the young people here today and think, God, what do you have in store for this generation? The generation of social media. Where people get lathered up, frenzied, pull the guns out, shoot each other over nothing. Where are the Christians? Where are those who are sold out, convinced, persuaded? That even if I'm called into a time of persecution, I don't really care. As long as I know that I'm in his care. If you'll give me just another moment. The Bible is replete with scripture after scripture that come out to what Peter also talked about. He said, think it not strange when you go through fiery trials. Fiery trials. I'm not a date setter, never have been. The Word of God tells me not to do that. But I do believe that we are living in the last days. And I'm believing with everything in me that God still is moving by His Spirit upon the earth. He's pouring out of His Spirit. I do believe with everything in me the words of Jesus. You see, when you go back to that passage as well, He also brought in another truth. And he said, those who are bad will continue to worsen. There is real heartache in this world today. But there's a time of tribulation coming to this world that we cannot fail to quit preaching about. There's a time of Jacob's trouble that cannot be compared to any other historical tragedy of the past, nor what could be projected in the future. It is his own distinction of Jacob's trouble. Those birth pangs, remember, are increasing. They're happening more often and they're happening with greater impact. We're living in the days that Jesus prophesied, I am convinced. Without setting a date, I am convinced that persecution is on the rise. This very day, while you and I have had the privilege of the comfort of a beautiful sanctuary... There are people that are laying down their life for the cause of Christ. It is a given fact. There are more martyrs for Jesus Christ today than any previous day recorded. Fox's Book of Martyrs, follow it. 
We have brothers and sisters in Christ in the Sudan that are dying every day. In Ethiopia, every day. We can name other countries. Well, we're just somehow immune to all that in the United States, aren't we? Understand, the miraculous of God always parallels with persecution. We desire to see prison doors open to where we get to share our faith. But you see, what these men had to go through to get to that place of appointment doesn't cause us to want to get in line and be first in line at least. Would you stand with me today?